Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. If you uh, are with me today here, I want to talk a little bit about the life of Paul and uh, how he sees things. Um, I don't know I'm not, if it's okay if I start with a pun. Uh, I don't know if I'm alone in this, um, but it, it seems that people today want to be left alone. And what I mean by that is I was reading this week an article about why people aren't coming back to church. And one of the big reasons is because through COVID, we kind of got used to being alone and not having all the people pressure that are on us. And the sense that, wow, I mean, I can function, I can live, I can enjoy life, and I don't have to be around people is very attractive to a lot of people. And myself, I kind of get to that place sometimes where I would just like to be left alone, where among all the things that I do throughout the week, it'd just be nice to go home on a Sunday afternoon and just sit, not have to worry about caring and thinking and reflecting, and just sit there and not worry about people. On the flip side, my wife is the opposite, so we usually have people over a lot. But I would like to be left alone sometimes. And I've been thinking a little bit about Paul, and uh, even though I've never had a relationship with Paul, even though I look pretty old, I'm not that old, just thinking about Paul and what kind of person is he like and how did he approach relationships. And it reminded me of something that I had done years ago about five biblical relationships that Paul was involved in. Now, before I share these, you're going to be a little bit overwhelmed, especially if you like to be alone, but I don't want you to be overwhelmed. I just want you to listen as to what these five relationships are. And so I'm going to need a little help from the audience, if you don't mind. Uh, I've been preaching at RCC, and uh, I'm training them in a weird way uh, for when I come to interact. So I, I would love some interaction. If you don't get the right answer, I will help you find the right answer. So if you can think of five relationships that Paul had, uh, anybody, what would be one of them? Okay, what did you say? Timothy. Timothy, yes. Everybody, I think, as a follower of Christ, should have someone who's a Timothy. And a Timothy is someone that we are helping to nurture and grow in their faith, like discipleship. Now, you might be saying, hey, dude, I'm a parent. I don't have time for stuff like that. Guess what? God has given you little disciples. <laughs> really cool, right? Isn't that funny how God works that out? So you have that opportunity to do just that. So Timothy. Now, I heard someone shout something else from over here. Barnabas. Yes, definitely. Everybody should have a Barnabas. What's a Barnabas? A Barnabas are a group of peers who come around us, we minister together, we serve together, we love together, we just do life together. Everybody needs those kind of relationships because, again, I don't know about you, I do know about me, that if I'm left alone, it only leads to trouble. At least in my mind and all the attitudes that I have to work through. So Barnabas, very good. What else? Mark Mark or Luke? I'm going to throw them with Barnabas. So that still counts. Free, free, um, free treats afterwards, just for you, okay? Uh, what else? I'm going incl- to include him with Timothy. I know this is where it gets tough, doesn't it? It's like, Jesus. 
<laughs> okay, yeah, sure, fine, God. You have to have a relationship with God. All right, yes, that's really the big one, right? And uh, I'm going to throw the other ones out there. Everyone should have a Paul in their lives. I know that sounds really weird because Paul didn't really have a Paul kind of Paul, but we should have a Paul in our life, someone who's in front of us, someone who we are learning from in order to grow in Christ just as the person who's in front of us. And the last one, which is out of nowhere in a sense, Everyone needs an Onesimus, someone who is not a follower of Jesus, someone whom we invest our life in, and as we invest our life in them, they hopefully and prayerfully will eventually come to know Jesus Christ as Lord. And the cool thing is that's part of what our capital campaign is about, that one, that one person. So we're going to talk about that later. The whole idea that I want us to see in all of this is that there are five biblical relationships that I think that Scripture teaches us that God wants us to have in our lives, through seasons sometimes, but overall to be really actively involved in pursuing these five relationships. Now today I only want to look at one of them, and quite obviously it's going to be the one that talks about Jesus. Now so what I have is a title, if you're taking notes, um, I changed the title like about seven or eight times since Thursday when Jeannie asked what's the title, I gave her the title, and I kept fighting through it. And this is one that I came up with. No matter what, I have Jesus. No matter what, I have Jesus. And I want to look at two instances in Paul's life and uh, work through the struggles of what it means to be with Paul. And so if you want, and you have your Bibles with you, if you can open up to Romans chapter 7, verses 24 through 25. <clears throat> And I'm going to try something weird. I'm going to ask someone to stand up in the crowd, and if if you can see that, read the verses for me. We might just do this twice, depending on how the person reads. No pressure for the first reader. But I just want you to read those two verses for us. So anyone want to volunteer offhand? Oh, saying. Okay, go ahead. All right, that's a pretty good reading. I like that reading. It is, in fact, Audrey liked it too, as you can see, because she screamed thank you. But everyone else just clapped, so. When you read this, there's, and you did it passionately, but I think there's a little bit more passion because the context of what's happening here in Romans, throughout the book of Romans, Paul is trying to build this case that the coming of Jesus is not just about personal salvation, like me becoming and knowing God, but it's about the whole creation, how God has stepped into our world through Jesus to redeem all of creation, not just individual people, not just communities or groups of people, but all of creation, literally. And yet here in this passage, in 6, 7, and 8 of Romans, Paul is talking about the personal application of it all, And in Romans 7, he's talking about how the law is good and how the law reveals sin and that when we see our sin, we are confronted by this. And he gets to this place where he says, oh, and this is a little overdramatic, but I got a feeling there's probably even more so, but the kind of like, oh, like, ah, the the groaning of it all. (coughs) He says, what a miserable, now I like the New American Standard uh, because the New American Standard is what a wretched man. Uh, to me, and maybe it's just because I like to just uh, uh, pick on myself a lot, it just seems a little bit more powerful, but what a miserable person I am. 
Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? See, before this, Paul was saying, you know, the things that I want to do, I don't do them. And the things I don't want to do, man, I'm all over them. I do them all the time. To me, I, I looked at it and I think about Paul and I say, prayer meeting. Let's be honest, how many of you love to go to prayer meeting? Right? I don't. I'm going to confess it. I don't enjoy it. I sit there, I, I think to myself, oh, man, prayer meetings tonight. Oh, we got to go. There's, there's something in me that says, you know what? I don't, I don't really want to do that. Because I should want to. I mean, I want to be someone who's known, who, who knows Jesus. I want to be known as someone who is Christ-like. I want all that. But really, when you have to do the things that you have to do, I really don't want to do them. And that's the struggle of Paul. How many of us, you have a sin in your life that you don't want to do, but you keep on doing it? Like, wow, I'm, I'm really, I struggle with anger. I don't want to be angry, but man, flip a switch, it's the easiest thing to do. I mean, if you have anger issues like I do sometimes, it's really easy to get angry. And when it's all said and done, what do you say? Man, I wish I hadn't done that. So you see Paul's struggle in all of this is because in all of his life, what is he saying? The things that God wants me to do, the things that I should be wanting to do, I don't want to do them. And the things that I don't want to do, that God just doesn't want me to do at all, man, I kind of like them. And so he comes to this place where he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. I am really bothered by this. Thank you, sir. And in all of this, there's that sense of groaning, that sense of despair that Paul has. I I can't do this anymore. I, I just don't like it. I don't enjoy it. There's no fun in this constant struggle that I face in trying to follow Jesus. This cry of despair, though, is beautiful. Because when we realize our helplessness, we turn to God for help. Hopefully. I say hopefully because not everybody, when they need help, turns to others for help. They try to push through it. But Paul here says, in my despair of trying to follow Jesus, as I understand this passage, I want to give up. I feel wretched. I feel, I feel miserable. Now I can turn to someone who can give me help. And this is, I, I, unfortunately for me, these are one of the few times that I actually relate to Paul. Isn't that kind of weird? Like, shouldn't I be relating to Paul and the good things? But the only times I really relate to Paul is when he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Or in 1 Timothy, when he says, I am the chief of sinners. I resonate with that. I'm like, okay, we're we're equals. (laughs) It's the only time. (laughs) Because that cry of despair then will hopefully help us to see our need for Jesus. Not just in a way to become saved, but in a way in order to become changed and to be transformed. You see, because this sin that confronts us constantly, this bombardment of temptation that hovers over us all the time, should create in us, hopefully, the sense of despair that Paul feels so that when we walk through life, it's okay to say, oh God, enough is enough. This is way too much. I cannot handle it because in our weakness, 
he becomes strong. So Paul cried to spirit, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And if you left it there, man, church would be a miserable place to go, wouldn't it? If we all just kind of sat there and said, oh, didn't read my Bible enough today. Bad follower of Jesus. Man, I went through the whole day and I didn't even think about God. Bad follower of Jesus. I didn't really, oh, bad follower. Everything is bad, 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 bad. If we leave it there. But Paul, this is the cool thing about this passage that I love so much. He says, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He goes from despair to triumph. He says, this is awesome. I look at myself. The bad news is I don't have it all together. I still struggle with sin. But the good news is that Jesus is the answer to my sin struggle, sin problem. And how he gives life, that cry of trouble. But what does he say here? This is cool. Notice this. He doesn't say, oh, what must I do? He doesn't say, I need to do more stuff. I need to get more, more involved. He says what? He asks this question, who will rescue me? The ultimate declaration of his need for God, he says, who will rescue me? Who will save me from this mess? This person's already done it. And so for us to grow in knowing Jesus more, we need to know ourselves and our hope. It's good to know who you are. It's good to know your strengths. Good to know your weaknesses. Good to know your sin. Good to know those places where you walk in holiness. But it's even better to hold on to this hope that one has in Jesus. Because what Paul is saying is this. No matter what, I have Jesus. No matter what, I can have the worst of worst days. Know that I have not done what I am supposed to do. I can feel wretched and miserable, but thanks be to God, there's Jesus. I have hope. This is not the way that it is supposed to stay. And so what we see in all of this is that sense of Paul, that it's all about Jesus. He knows himself. And he knows his hope. And that relationship that he has with Jesus is the very thing that continues to compel him forward in his pursuit of God. There is always hope. Second thing that I want us to catch today in all of this is the idea that we need to know our life. We need to know our life. So I don't know if you have, you want to flip into your Bibles or your phone or whatever it is, but if you want to turn to Philippians chapter 1, Verses 20 and 21, I want to read those for us. Paul writes this, I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Man, there's something going on here that is just, it blows my mind to think about it. Paul, sitting in a Roman prison, not like the prisons that we have. It's probably under house arrest. But he's having the opportunity to share Christ with a whole bunch of people. And in the midst of this, he receives this gift, not only a letter, but also a gift from the Philippians. And he says to them, 
by partners in the gospel, which is why we use partnership here and not membership. He said, my partners in the gospels, I'm so thankful for you. You're such a great bunch of Barnabases or um, peers who come alongside me and walk this walk as we minister the gospel of Jesus. And this is really cool. But I want you to know that while I'm here, don't feel bad for me. I am imprisoned, yet I am free. I am free. Why? Because as I sit here with the chains and these guards around me, and I have conversations with people, I'm sharing Christ. So if you can imagine that uh, John is uh, in prison, and uh, one of the guards next to him, those two guards there, those mean-looking guards, uh, Yun Sun, no, no, uh, Yun Sun and Audrey, and uh, he, he's stuck, he's, they're, they're just mean to him. But then Dave comes along, Pastor Dave comes along, and he sits down and starts talking with John, and they start talking about the gospel. You see, he's imprisoned. He cannot go wherever he wants. But the beauty of it is he is free to share the gospel. And so these two mean guards are listening to the gospel over and over and over again. And in the midst of his imprisonment, Paul says, I'm free. So there might be people out there who are criticizing me and saying, listen, if he's really following Jesus, shouldn't he be out? I mean, he must lack some faith or he must have some sin because he's in prison. And Paul says, no, that's not it at all. The truth is God has me in this situation, in these circumstances, so that I can share Jesus. And he doesn't know, will he live or will he die? The previous verse before these, he says, I know that God will deliver me. And immediately we think, oh, well, God's going to deliver him because he's going to set him free and he's going to go and preach the gospel more. But part of that deliverance might be that he is killed. That's deliverance because look at what he says. Go back to this so cool. I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. So set me free. Let me go to Spain. Cool, I'm in. Crucify me? Doesn't matter. I'm delivered. I will. He is confident 100% that he will be delivered by God. And he says that. He says, for me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. I look at Paul and I go, you're up here and I don't even know where I am down there because that's not my attitude. My attitude is I want to live. I want to enjoy life. I had vertigo a couple weeks ago, and uh, my blood pressure spiked to like 161 over 100-something. And I'm freaking out, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm dying. The end is near, <laughs> and I'm begging God, please don't take me, please don't take me. There's nothing like Paul. You know, and the, the comforting people that you get around, this is the weird thing when you get around Christians, it's like, but if you die, you get to go see Jesus. <laughs> okay, come on, how do you say that on a Sunday sermon, right? But I'm just being honest with you. I don't want to die. I want to live. Something's wrong. Paul isn't a hedonist in the sense that he, or a masochist. He's not looking for pain. He's just expressing his true heart. I love Jesus so much. I don't care. No matter what, I have Jesus. Keep me in prison? Don't care. I have Jesus. Set me free? Don't care. I have Jesus. Take my life? Don't care. I have Jesus. No matter what door he opens, door number one, door number two, or door number three, it is Jesus. Paul just simply says, no matter what, I have Jesus. We catch his heart here. 
This is the heart of Paul. The heart that I think many of us, and I know for sure myself, lacks because we don't see everything about being with Jesus. When I look at myself, one of the ways I test that is when I have that moment to spare, you know, that half hour, 15 minutes or whatever, what is it that you do with that free time, that unexpected time? You know, like you're supposed to meet with somebody and they cancel and you go, wow, I got a whole hour to do something. What is it that most of us will do? Can we be honest here? What, uh, let's, oh, Ray, you raise your hand. You want to tell us? What do you do if you had that free hour? I think you said take a nap. Did I hear that right? I still can't hear you, but I'm going to go with you. You're going to take a nap. <coughs> he might have said, he might, he might have said fast and pray. I don't know. I mean, this what nap or we want to catch up on that show that we're watching or we want to read or we, or we want to do something. And, and when I see that, I think, what would Paul do in that time? And, and maybe I'm just over spiritualizing him, but I wonder if he would do the things that we do today. I just know what I do, which is, man, I want to catch up on stuff that I've missed on because to me, that hunger and that desire is missing. Paul, in a sense, is saying, Jesus is my all in all. That's it, man. I'm just going to leave it right there on the table and just tell you, Jesus is my all in all. And, and, and I want to let you know, this would be Paul speaking, that there's really nothing else. I was going to look at Philippians 3, but I felt like it was too much because when, in Philippians 3, it's just Paul just saying, my treasure, my desire, my goal, my hope, my everything is all wrapped up in knowing Jesus. I want to know Jesus fully, completely. He goes bonkers. He says, even in his suffering, I want to know him. Paul is not a North American Christian. We don't like suffering. He should be saying, in my comfort, draw me out of that. And I'll know Jesus. Then that's cool. But that suffering part, not up for it. But that is the heart and attitude of Paul because what he is saying is, Jesus is my life. There's nothing else. No matter what, I have Jesus. That's, that's it, man. That's it. And I, I just, I, I can't relate to that. I like Jesus, I love Jesus, I want Jesus, all that stuff, but I just want a simpler path. But Paul, clearly not living the simpler path, the more difficult road and journey, still says, no matter what, I have Jesus. You see, Paul has known who he is, he has known his hope, and he knows his life. Now, you might be sitting there going, I can't do it, man. I give up. Just, I don't want to do it. What you're asking is well beyond me. And you know what the truth is? Amen to realize that. Because this life that Paul lives is well beyond us. There's something or someone that Paul has that so much makes it so that he longs for Jesus. And nothing but Jesus. Thomason, not to be sacrilegious, how many of you have ever had white castles in the 70s and 80s? Right? Do you remember those? Man, it's good stuff. How many of you had white castles recently? 
Garbage, right? Doesn't even compare, man. It is garbage. I eat it and I think, I, I long. Okay, I'm not trying to be sick. I'm just, there's a longing for something grander, greater, richer than the stuff I feed myself on today. So let me land this plane for us, and I want to give us two applications. Two applications, and I want to encourage actual action from all this. And I'm going to switch it around. If you can go to the last slide. Two applications, one honest prayer. This is what I've been learning. So this is where I'm going to get a little bit of a testimony here. Uh, honest prayer. I picked up a book. I don't even remember the title of it. I just picked it up, and I was like, wow, this is crazy. I read the first few pages, and the guy said, let's just be honest when we pray. And he said, the first part of honesty is admitting that you don't like to pray. And I said, I love this guy because that's me. <laughs> I don't really enjoy it. You know, when I think of praying, I think of all these guys in the past who write these books, and they talk about all these wonderful things happen, and then I look at my life, and I go, why can't I be like that? He says, you know what that happens? Be honest. Just say, God, I want more. And so in that honesty, what he's saying is this, from, the, from uh, Luke um, chapter 18, where you're looking at the Pharisee, the Pharisee was honest. He said, God, I can't even, I, I can't, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm hiding here in the shadows. I can't do this. I can't be here. Be merciful to me. I'm a wretched sinner. Oh, wretched man that I am. And it's almost like a voice speaks and says, but thanks be to God. Jesus is the answer. And Jesus says, who went home filled with God? It was that tax collector, not the Pharisee who sat there and said, oh, God, I am awesome. Why do you not love me more? I'm so great. Be honest when you pray. So one of the things I learned is, you know what? I said, God, right now, I don't want to pray. Just being honest. Turn it into praying. Does anyone wander like I do when I pray? Right? That's my middle name in prayer. Frank Praying Wanderer Pizor. I am all over the place. He says, you know what? Instead of freaking out about that, why don't you just pray about each and everything that you just wandered off on? Why not? Why not just be honest? God, I'm not engaged. Because what that author was saying is when you're engaged in something, you are engaged. And you don't get distracted. The reason we get distracted is because our hearts aren't longing for this connection with Jesus. And so he says, just be honest. Just say it. I'm not longing for it. I don't want it. I don't like it. But in fact, I got better things to do. But he says, be honest. Take that to God in prayer. It's It's not like God goes, whoa. I've never seen this before. A person who doesn't focus on me the whole time when they pray, I'm shocked. It's God's understanding that. Who really needs to understand that it's a part of our reality is us. And to just honestly say, God, this is where I'm at. Here I am. Second thing, and I think this is even more practical, something I call reflection days. Reflection days... I think I'm finding are one of the most important things in helping me continue to stick in this following Jesus thing. Because without these reflection days, I'm lost. Now, some people think reflection days must mean rest days. You know, rest. 
I'm going to go on a retreat and I'm going to take a break and I'm going to, you know, just relax and whatever it is and just kind of do my sort of thing. And reflection days are not intended just to binge and do things. The necessity of reflection day is that we learn how to rest in order that we can run harder. We learn how to rest so that we can run harder. Does anyone ever notice that they play football only once a week? Does anyone want to gander why? Anybody? Well, rest, but Scott, do you want to give an answer to that? I think you would say because it's a pretty violent game, right? A lot of banging and smashing and crushing. Why don't they play two days later? Because it takes them that long to recover. But then when they get there on Sunday, after a week of rest and tapes and preparation and all that stuff, they're ready to play again. The call of God is come to rest, to be here, to be with me, enjoy me, experience me, encounter me, and then we can run harder. That's the purpose of reflection. And reflection day. Here's something that I heard this week. Somebody said, we should stop living for Christ and start living with Christ. Did you catch that? It's a huge difference. Don't just live for Christ. Live with Christ. Don't just serve for Christ. Serve with Christ. Don't do it on your own. Do it with him. The call of Jesus to the early disciples was what? Come and be with me. Abide in me. Live in me. It's all about us being with him and then responding with action. Jesus doesn't say, hey, dudes, let's all get together. Let's have a wonderful time. Let's enjoy the time together. Let's go home and tell everybody, I had a really good time with Jesus. It's all good, it's all good, and leave it at that. He said, no, that time together is what changes, transforms us. And so I want to offer this. Every last Saturday of the month, for the first three Saturdays, because once the capital campaign comes, we're going to focus on the capital campaign. But for the first three months, every Saturday, I would like to say, that last Saturday, for one to three hours, come to the church building... Join me on a reflection day and find your life in Jesus. So that this reality, when we look at Paul, we don't say, I resonate with Paul in Romans 7.24 when I think I'm wretched. But I resonate with Paul in Philippians 1 so that no matter what, I have Jesus. That's life because he is life. Let's pray. Are you at a place where you can say, no matter what, I have Jesus? And if you're not, don't beat yourself over the head. Say how terrible and rotten you are. Just be honest. Say, God, this is where I'm at. I feel more lost now than I did before. Whatever. But in my great need, I pray that you come. So I'm going to give us about a minute. Go through that. And just be honest as you pray. Our Father, you are near. And you're here. In this high school cafeteria in Hoffman Estates. 
You see our lives. You see our hearts. You see the struggle. But you provide the help. And you provide the life. So we pray that you will reveal to us allow us to encounter Jesus in a way that stirs our hearts to value you, to pursue you, to see you as worthy, to seek you, to hunger and thirst for you. Because you know there are so many things that keep us from really reflecting on who you are and what you've done. Where when I think of Paul, I think of someone who could who could say what he says, oh wretched man that I am, because he's confronted by the reality of who he is each and every day, but then can rejoice in knowing that Jesus is the answer and that no matter what, that's all he needs. And I pray, not just this time, but throughout the week, the month, the years, that you will become so real in our hearts that we come to a place where like Paul, we can say no matter what, no matter how much I've struggled and failed, no matter how ugly my circumstances are, no matter how much people are talking dirt on me, it doesn't matter. I have Jesus. That seems so far away and so in the distance, but it must be real because Jesus is real. Not just for Paul, because Jesus didn't come just for Paul, but he came for the world. He came for us. And that's our prayer. bless us as we leave one of the things in all of this that I was confronted with it was the sense that the spirit was saying stop performing stop doing stop living for and start living with and then all that other stuff will flow out of it it's a huge difference so this I want to bless you with understand this know this Father's love for us is much more extravagant than you can imagine. The life of Jesus, much fuller. And may the Spirit take your heart, your mind, your soul, your body, and fill you in a way that nothing else satisfies but Him. It may not be immediate, but it shall come. So the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.